everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kitchen Gods. It's episode 19. 19. We're going to party like it's 19. I was just looking, and we've been doing this for five months now. Shut up. Yeah. Five? No. Well, that's when you well, sent I, my I first mean, Zoom link, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I, I believe you, but it's but then again, <laughs> time, time has no, the contract of time has no actual meaning right now. Wow, that's pretty cool. Anyway, hi. Episode Anywho, 19. Yeah. Episode 19. That's exciting. This, this is another sort of two-parter. We're going to talk about mm. two ladies, ladies. One of whom, ladies, one of whom is widely regarded as like the mother of French cuisine, the woman who brought everything, you know, got it all started. Okay. And then another one who should be. Who should be regarded as the mother right. of French cuisine. Got it. Yes. Okay. First, Catherine de Medici or de Medici or however you'd like Sounds to pronounce good. it. Yeah, if you're Italian, it's de Medici. Feel free to correct us in the comments yeah, as well. We have a running bet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep so, my mouth shut. <laughs> so Catherine, Catherine it has long been given the honor of kind of being the start of French cuisine, French okay. oak cuisine. Okay. Catherine, back in the 1500s, she was an Italian nobleman, noblewoman, mm. noble child, actually. She was only 14 years yeah. old. They all, yeah, they were, but you know what? They were merchants. Mm -hmm. They weren't royalty, royalty. They were nouveau riche. Right. And that's kind of gauche back then. She became queen by marrying who, who would become King Henry II of France. Okay. They were both young when she was married off to him. Her Pope actually had arranged it. Okay. And uh, three of her sons would eventually go on to become king as well. And king of France. And she had such massive sway over them that she was widely regarded as as ruling the country essentially for a long from 1559 to 1589 okay as i mentioned she had gotten married to henry when she was just 14 years old it turned out to be a weird situation her new husband who wasn't quite king yet really was madly in love with his mistress mistress poor catherine from florence is just hanging around not getting any of his attention just kind of a wallflower basically mm -hmm. and this floozy is given a lot of power <laughs> and she's basically <laughs> well actually she's not a floozy but she's she's yeah. given a lot of government training she's given a ton of power okay and it's just it's a it's a widely known secret her name was diane da and feel free to correct my pronunciation um de poitier okay diane de poitier and she was a prominent noblewoman on her own merits since it was no secret who she was dating this brought her family a ton of money and a ton of status so she's credited with being a huge influence in renaissance art she was a huge patron of architecture and art and, and diane had been married off to an old fart when she was just 15 so <laughs> these are technical you know, terms floozy fart floozy fart yep so she had been married to this old guy who would die off mm -hmm. and she hooked up with Henry and it okay. was kind of a May, December romance. Okay. She had met Henry during the four years that he and his little brother were being held hostage after the battle of Patria. So in 1525, during one of the many little wars that were happening in Italy, uh -huh. he's taken hostage he okay. and his brother for ransom for his father. And it wasn't paid in time. So they ended up staying in the same castle and that's where Diane was. Okay. And so, you know, they're like meeting in the castle. Of course, right. I don't have any other information on that. There wasn't any. No. And, she's the, and she's the older woman in this in this scenario. She's yeah, 20 years older. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very May, December romance. His voice probably hadn't cracked yet. And he's like, hi, Diane. Right. <laughs> you know? 
alas. It's kind of like you know, it's you it's know. the it's the high school student hooking up with the with the teacher that for some yeah. reason gets a pass. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Deportier. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Diane Diane had been around, and she knew that Henry was going to become king. She suffered no illusions that Henry would ever marry her. It was just not a possibility. Right. So she knew that he had to get married, and she approved of Catherine uh, as a wife, even though. Huh. She came from Nouveau money. Okay. But Diane and Catherine would not become like fast friends or anything. I see. But still, it seems like there was a level of civility there. Sure, they shared They shared this guy. You know, and Diane would even um, nurse Catherine when she was really sick at one point. And wow. Try to make her feel better. Yeah. But All right. Henry would go on to have a few more little mistresses here and there, tiny little short affairs. But Diane was like his long-term, the love of his life. Sure, got it. And, and she she was, she was, stuck around. 25 years this went on. Wow. Diane is the most powerful woman in France for about 25 years wow. because she is the mistress to Henry II. Sure. When Henry II had been made king, the Pope sent the Golden Rose, which is this golden it's a gold sculpture of a rose bush and it's been blessed and everything and that you know they'll gift it to to important people they'd given it to Catherine, knowing full well that diane was a big part of the picture they also sent her a really amazing gift of this very ornate pearl necklace okay so she was recognized by them as just to make king just, yeah he's by association it's such a non-secret yeah but it's not all like hippie true love open marriages here oh, no, I get and eventually it. Catherine gets really annoyed and calls bs on all of this diane is deciding how Catherine's children are being raised and educated really henry lends her the crown jewels hmm. and he's yeah he starts gifting diane big plots of land and chateaus that you know Catherine wanted henry and diane start signing letters with their celebrity name henri diane all one word. Okay. That's which, right. That's their As far as celebrity names go, that one's pretty uh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm I listen for the 1500s. I mean, who, you know, it's it's not uh Brangelina. Brangelina. Yeah. It's not Brangelina. But they that's pretty impressive that they pulled directions. that off for the 1500s. Hendy, yeah. Ryan, I don't know. <laughs> she, he would even sit in her lap in court and like, you know, play with her hair and flirt oh my goodness. and just Yeah, it was it was nuts. Diane would finance the architecture of on the lands that she was gifted, and she built some of the most iconic French chateaus that are still there today. They're very much, you know, tourist locations that you would want to go check out. But just she had fantastic taste, and she was truly a patron of the arts. Mm. All this power, though, depended on the king. Sure. And in 1559, Henry takes a jousting lance Ooh. to the face. To the face. To the face. <sighs> it's hard to come back from that. Mm -hmm. It basically goes into his eye and brain. Mm. He doesn't die immediately, but they're like huge shards and splinters. Fifteen hundreds, you die. You, you die from knocking yourself with a doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> the lance especially to the face in jousting is pretty it, nasty. Especially if you're an inbred royal, well, you know, you probably had all point. sorts of hemophilia and whatever yeah. is going on there. So Henry, yeah, Henry's not doing so good, sure. and immediately Catherine steps in. Suddenly, Diane's key doesn't work anymore. Whoa, the key fob just said, bleep, bleep, not, mm. not working anymore. Sorry, Di. Doors no, locked. you can't come in. And he's screaming her name. He's like, oh. you know, desperate for Diane to come. And he's on his deathbed. And Catherine's like, no. And scary for Diane because she could have easily been executed. Okay. Catherine's in charge. And she lets Diane kind of run off with her tail between her legs and keeps one of the chateaus. 
she basically lives in exile huh. for the rest of her life. All right. In a chateau. And Catherine now. Now, now Catherine, our meek little Catherine, who was just away from the hallway, yeah. is suddenly in power. Sure. Did they make her, she queen? She's queen, right? She's Well, she's queen regent. So there was, there was some juggling around, lots of juggling around of power. It's essentially like a coup. Mm-hmm. It's 1560. Her son, King Francis mm-hmm. II, marries Mary, Queen of Scots. Okay. He's king of what? France. Got it. Francis II of France. He is going to leave after a year, though, because being married to Mary, he could potentially become the king of Scotland and England as well. I see. So there's lots of like moving mm. pieces around this giant chessboard. Mm-hmm. So she she was queen regent for her 10-year-old son, King Charles IX. After that, the first kid who took over was King Charles IX, and he died. King Henry II, her next son, kept her on as a very close advisor. Okay. So there were the the three sons. So you got this girl um, from this girl from Florence. Yep, this girl now, from Florence is now running France, and her offspring are various kings. Yes. Once Catherine is in control of the royal purse, she put a lot of money into all the different branches of art. So this is the Renaissance. The in Renaissance. France. I mean, ballet is being born. Hmm. Art, um, mimes. I think I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but she also had had a, a, a great eye for architecture. Uh-huh. And for a very long time, Catherine was credited with bringing with her an entourage from Florence of chefs and bakers mm. and that they had a huge influence in France when this is actually not true. Huh. She was, of course, you know, she she may have brought some, but she this is the Renaissance, you know, right. tons of bakers and chefs are coming in from all over. Sure. Europe and, you know, it's they're a having a power. huge effect. Right. It's not Catherine. Catherine's having very yep. little effect on this, actually. Leonardo da Vinci had come to town. Yeah, just hanging he out. was also a good cook. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't designing cool helicopters and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, Kitchen Gods is about telling the truth. It is. We've got to reveal these 1500 <laughs> secrets of the royals. Uh, you know, Catherine was not this huge culinary influence, mm. uh, even though she has been given. Uh, oftentimes, you know, you'll see like the mother of French cuisine, Catherine de Medici, and it's. Mm. It's more like baloney. (laughs) But, you know, French cuisine would continue to grow in popularity. So we skip ahead 150 years or so and we get Carême. Okay. That's our like first celebrity chef. And then you jump again another another few um, generations. And 1895, arguably one of the best chefs of all time is born. What's weird about her is she's been completely written out of history. Huh. And she this is truly... When I say this, it's not hyperbole. Okay, go for it. At, at least one of the top three chefs of all time. Wow, and no record in in in, in terms of being an influential historical figure in 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 cuisine. She's been wiped away. What? So I want to get to the bottom of that and also tell her story because she's so yeah. amazing. Have you heard of Paul Bocuse? I have not. He is a culinary giant. He died a few years ago. People would go on pilgrimages from all over the world to go to his restaurant in okay. Lyon in France. He famously said he'd rather have a woman in his bed than behind his stove. Mm. And what's crazy about that is he was trained by this woman. Mm. And her name is Eugenie Brassier. She was born in 1895 okay. outside of Lyon, France. She was born to a very poor family. They lived on a farm, but okay. it's bucolic. So Lyon is Lyon is no. closer to Geneva. It's like near Switzerland mm-hmm. um, as to opposed Paris. to like Paris. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, mountainous. And yep. by the time she's five years old, she is tending to the pigs. Okay. 
So they all have jobs on this farm. She only went to school when it was too cold to farm. Hmm. So if the pigs were just stuck in the barn, then she would go to school. Got and it. it was only for maybe, you know, one or two months every oh, winter. What, you're going to get there. First of all, you know, the day you get to school, there's an exam and you haven't, you <laughs> haven't been to class in, you know, in six months because you've been with the pigs. That's really, oh, God, <laughs> the nightmare. And you don't remember your locker combination. There's no possible way she did. Right. Right. Uh, always missing that bus. She was probably Poor naked. <laughs> so she she did she loved it there she had this very kind of bucolic upbringing mm-hmm. for a while they're poor but it's really beautiful there's fresh vegetables from their gardens uh everything is grown in this rarefied terroir that is Lyon. Mm. happy little pigs going around that would become happy little sausages yeah, yummy. it was hard work but eugenie was all about that she liked this life of working hard and enjoying the beauty that she saw. One of her fondest memories, she says, is of her mother bringing her out a bowl of this potato and vegetable leek soup Hmm. that her mother had made with like a chicken broth. And then she'd added some cream to it. And then lots of butter. While it was steaming hot, she dropped some eggs into it. And then old crusty bread went into the bottom Mm. and it just all soaked up. And it's this ambrosia of potato. It sounds so good. (laughs) And she said, you know, this is her Proust a uh, moment okay. where she's, you know, this is, she, she'll talk about it for the rest of her life. This okay. was one of her favorite dishes. It was just so delicious. A potato leek soup is why I ended up going to my culinary school. Really? Yes. Huh. Uh, my husband was, you know, I've taken on a lot of hobbies. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to be a ceramicist. No, I want to make stained glass windows. Maybe I could be a chemist. It's mm. a lot. And yeah. kudos to my husband for... <laughs> Putting up with Listen, all of this. You and you you and I, you and I have been through a thousand different vocations and avocations. Aye, aye, aye. So when I turned 30, I had to go to culinary school and he didn't <gasps> kick me in the face. I mean, you know, I'm sure he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, well, come with me. They're going to have a, um, a demo. Okay. And we're just going to go and we're going to watch this chef and he's going to make something. And, and, you know, you can get a look at the school and tell me if I'm making the worst decision of my life. Okay. So we go and we sit down and it's a rainy, cold, like October day, only seven people show up hmm. and we're in this auditorium that seats like maybe six, 60, 70 people. Okay. And Jacques Pepin walks in Ooh. and he's behind the table. We're five feet away from him and he starts this demo. First, he takes apart this, you know, massive piece of salmon. Okay. And he's making these jokes about, you know, the belly fat is, it's extra fatty and it, it won't cut as nicely. So, you know, you chop it up and you charge more and make it something <laughs> interesting, you know, and he's just delightful right. and then he makes this potato leek soup it was potato <laughs> russet potato mm-hmm. so a little bit of butter not a ton of butter mm. leeks and water not even chicken stock okay that was it the leeks are sauteed in the butter until they're vibrant green and they start to kind of just fall apart a little bit okay and then you add all of your chopped potatoes and cover it with water some salt and pepper and then you walk away basically for half an hour and we make this soup all the time because it is just transformative it's just fills your soul it's so good and he hands out all these little cups and my husband's just like yeah okay i get it yeah (laughs) (laughs) this makes sense and i just like oh love it love it love it so i can see how you know that would that would stick with her it's like yeah an experience like that you don't it's amazing yeah you don't forget probably what also made this one of her favorite dishes was that her mom died shortly after so she's mm. 10 years old and her mother passes away. Her dad couldn't keep her. 
he couldn't support her. Okay. So he ships her off to another farm okay. where she goes to work. Luckily, it's still in Leon. So she's not totally, you know, removed That's from her family, yeah. but yeah, this stinks. She's basically sure. getting she's room how old and now? board. Now she is 10, 11 years old. Okay. Wow. And okay. she's living on another farm. She's basically getting room and board mm-hmm. and maybe a, a yearly pair of shoes and a yearly new dress. Okay. No, no real money to speak of. But she's learning how to process food. Okay. So this farm's a little bit bigger and they're processing animals, breaking down animals. They're, you know, how to raise chickens, how to, you know, take care of fish, how to lots of different things okay. that would become very useful as a chef. And she's got a nose for it. She's just a natural affinity to this. And she sees that, you know, on a farm, especially it's nose to tail. Right. Nothing goes to waste. Sure. And when, you know, you're poor, this is makes our, our grandparents who were, you know, depression era who kept all those newspapers stacked up right. and hoarding and stuff. This is just, you know, there's no hoarding. It was just, we're going to use everything. Sure. Not save it at all. That's what's her name's um, book. The homemakers, the frugal homemakers guide. Yeah. To Lydia use, Mariah. Lydia Mariah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See? I remember <laughs> yeah. You, you paid attention. <laughs> I do. Eugenie is working on the farm. Mm-hmm. She's learning lots of new skills. Right. Uh, there's lots of religious feasts that that go on, and she's tapped a number of times to to cook at these okay. these feasts, and she you know starts to get kind of a name for herself. Unfortunately, at 19, she gets knocked up, okay. and she's single. Mm. So her dad is horrified, refuses to support her in any way. She's basically completely shamed. Instead of leaving Lyon and running away, she sticks around she goes nearby and she becomes the nanny for this family um that has you know a bit more money she's going to take care of their kids the family that she's nannying for happens to own a bakery okay she's drawn to it like a moth to a flame and starts to learn how to bake as well and she's very quickly finds herself behind the stove all day and she's the family's thrilled Mm. you know she's cooking up a storm now they have a private chef and she finds her special purpose. This is her her call to life is, is I'm going to cook. Her It was just to make good food. It was not to be a celebrity chef. It sure. was not to write cookbooks. It was oh. not to, What was a celebrity know, chef back then? It wasn't really. It was, well, this was 1890s, but, yeah. <laughs> but yes, that's true. But still, you know, and, and she would get some recognition and she would want to turn it down. Mm-hmm. You know, she was just before and, and still lived during the times, late 1890s, early 1900s. You know, Julia Child and Jacques Pepin himself, right. and people are becoming famous for, for being chefs. It's sure. pretty few and far between, but it's still, it's starting to, to come out there. So she's she's enjoying the nanny work, but it's just not paying the bills for her and Gaston, who mm. is her son. Gaston. I was going to say, is that a... <laughs> A very, a very lovely French name. Lovely French chef-y sounding name, right? Right. I assume he just walked everywhere with a baguette right. and a bottle of wine for his mama. <laughs> so she's going to find a job in a restaurant. This group of women who run restaurants, front of house and back of house. Mm, like Ruth's Chris. And exactly. <laughs> like Ruth's Chris. <laughs> so I remember and that too. <laughs> <laughs> women getting it done. So yeah. all of these, all of these women are working in this, um, La Mer restaurant, which means the mothers, it's very well respected. Leon is becoming a becoming a culinary destination hmm. because there are so many amazing restaurants around here. She starts off at the restaurant like everybody else, washing dishes. She's working for a, a female chef, of course. Francoise is her name, and she's she's fantastic. So Eugene 
Eugenie is learning a lot, mm. but there is some clash of egos eventually and some jealousy and it just, it doesn't work out. And by the time that Eugenie is 26, she leaves to open up her own little shop. It was a, a grocery store on okay. Rue Royale in Lyon. It was tiny, but it had these beautiful bay windows. She was meticulous. All of the silverware was shined so pristine. All of the crystals laid out just so. All the walls were tiled beautifully and you know, sunlight would glint in through these big bay windows. It was just beautiful. a really beautiful Sounds space. Lovely. And when she opened up her, her first day, the menu was crayfish with a mayonnaise, mm -hmm. uh, pigeon with peas, and then an apple brioche flambéed with brandy. Mm. <gasps> apple brioche good. flambéed with brandy. <laughs> Sounds good. Almost as good as a potato Oh, man. It's, it, it was a huge hit. Almost immediately, she's needed to add seats. So she buys the apartment upstairs and next door and next door, and it's getting bigger and bigger. And people actually start to travel great distances to go to her restaurant. Okay. The mayor of Lyon goes on to be the prime minister of France. Okay. He, having grown up there, knows her restaurant and would come back. So there's already the celebrity clientele that was kind of built into it. Mm -hmm. uh, Marlena Dietrich would come. Wow. Anybody who would, you know. And it wasn't just about. It wasn't a hot spot it. to be seen or was, it was actually done. It became a destination. So we'll talk about the Michelin guide in just a minute. Oh, okay. And what the Michelin stars mean. What's amazing though is her dishes weren't overly complicated. So when I think of, you know, haute cuisine or a three-star Michelin, Michelin restaurant, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of 16 exhausting courses right. with, you know, palate cleansers in between and ballet style diet, um, yeah. service. <laughs> and it's, it's a lot, but this this is not what she was doing. Her dishes were not overly complicated. They were just exquisite. Okay. So everything is just so perfect. Oh. Her most famous dish is this chicken, which it's kind of funny because the same recipe had been made at her previous restaurant where she had taken this rest this recipe with her I see. to her new she restaurant. Borrowed. This was she not something it. she had come up with. Yeah, she had, she borrowed okay. it and, and improved upon it. Right. It's chicken. Let's go. Um, it's it's chicken, right? It's called chicken in half morning. Okay. Because you would wear black when you were. I was going to say <laughs> So she would take truffles. This woman would take truffles and just okay. like, oh man, heavy with the truffles. They were cut uh, eighth inch slices of truffle, That's and she would thick. slide them between the skin and the flesh of the bird, okay, of the chicken, and then she would wrap it in a pig skin, and mm. poach it in stock and chicken stock, and that would go that chicken stock would then go on to become this really rich soup she would of course add cream to it and of course that's whatever nice. else and and yeah and people could not stop talking about it okay so much so that you know it was like hamilton you right. see it once and you can't shut up about it for exactly. the whole year word Tell of me. her restaurant just spread and spread and spread she was immaculate in front of kitchen and back of kitchen so she always had beautifully pressed whites on her hair was always up in a tight bun at least at the beginning of service by the end she was looking a little frazzled yeah. she's kind of you know roundish woman okay she was obsessed with cleanliness every day she would have everyone clean out the refrigeration and restock it hmm. she it was said she was using so nose to tail she was using stuff up there was no leftovers right, right. so it was much easier to clean when you're not you know sitting yeah, on a crate of oranges yeah. from two weeks ago exactly 
her purveyors all knew that she had this exacting taste and the chicken guy would complain that, you know, I'm not going to manicure them for you. What do you want next? (laughs) You know, this is too much. And she would just constantly sending food back, only accepting the absolute best. Seven years later, she starts to expand. Uh, She buys this old freezing cold, no electricity, no water hunting lodge Hmm. in the woods. Okay converts it into a restaurant. So hmm. for a long time, she's operating it and it still didn't have what, running what? water. I don't know. I don't know how she did it. There must've been kind a of, well. Yeah, I was going to say. Something. Building codes you got going on there in France. Yeah. And her her commis, who's um, working the line, that's someone who's about three or four steps down from executive chef. Okay. It's this 20-year-old kid whose name is Paul Bocuse. Paul Bocuse would go on to become... For a long time, the most famous chef in France, mm, in the world. Okay. There's a really great Anthony Bourdain episode where he goes to visit her. Everything he knows, he learned from her. He started with di- with by like washing dishes. He learned everything I got from it. her. Yeah. But he um, got all the credit in the end, didn't he? Yeah. He was called the father of French cuisine. That's what you know he's commonly referred to as, as the father of French cuisine. But she was the mother. The mother's got to come uh, first. So she's so dang good that after just a couple years, boom. She gets three Michelin stars wow. for her restaurant. Okay. It was in 1926. She is the first woman, actually, that year there were two women that got three stars for the first time. Oh, that's so cool. But, but uh, Marie Marie Beaujolais, she got three stars as well, but didn't maintain them. Mm. Not like Eugenie, Eugenie did. So the Michelin Guide, let's talk about that for a quick yeah. second. Tire Company. Back in 1900, there were only 300 cars in France. So the tire company put out this free guide telling you where you could get your tires fixed, what towns had a mechanic, gas stations, important information at the time where there are few and far between. And there were little maps and stuff. They started to charge for them and include these restaurant recommendations. So you would only get into, it's it's an accomplishment just to get into the guide. Sure. They're not going to list. It's not Valpac. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No Groupons here. Yeah, no. For one star, that meant it was very good. You should go to this restaurant. Two meant this deserves a detour. Hmm. Maybe it's an hour out of your way. It's worth the trip. And then there's three stars, which is worth planning your family's vacation around. Wow. She got three stars. Three stars is is impossible. Amazing. It's just It's just not. What's got three stars today? There's quite a few restaurants that have three stars today. Restaurants will have huge celebrations for getting the one star. Wow. Three stars is, is yeah, it's, it's incredibly yeah. rare. Like the French Laundry, you might get. I was gonna, I was gonna say that's the only one I know in 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 Napa. There, French Laundry was yeah. that Thomas Keller. Yep, Thomas Keller. Wow, know something. And the next year, 1935, her hunting lodge and her restaurant both get three stars. What? This is unheard of, and never to happen again. Okay, that's not true. But <laughs> almost never to happen again. I mean, it's it's super, nuts. Super crazy. Super rare. And when Alain Ducasse, Alain Ducasse, 60 years later, he gets six stars. And the New York Times, this is in 1998, and the New okay. York Times is like, oh my God, monumental. No one in the, in the history of man has ever gotten six stars. Well, it's this m- is woman. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took them five days to print a retraction because they're like, we don't know who she is. We've never heard of her. Prove it. What? This is bull. But both of her restaurants held on to three stars each for 20 years. What? Every yes. year renewed. For 20 flipping years. It's insanity. 
It's so nuts. Th- so twenty years is 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 she still around? What? How old is she? Yeah, she's still. Oh, she's she's very much still around, and, and the menu's is, is, not this is changing. This is 1940? 1935 is okay. when she first. It's when she got all six stars from 1935 to 1955. She's holding on to these stars. It's essentially like winning an Academy Award every, every single year. year for twenty years. And her first restaurant, Le Mer Brésier, keeps it for twenty eight. Why did the hunting lodge go down? Probably because the menus never changed. Mm. I imagine eventually people are going to get bored, but if it's exquisitely prepared, who knows? But she was devastated when mm. that happened. Absolutely. You know, this was her identity. Um, World War II um, had happened and Leon saw lots of mm. Nazi action. Yep, she actually damage. went to jail uh, mm. during this time for, for breaking rationing laws. Ah, oh, well, yeah, you can't, you, you can't know? run an exquisite three-star Michelin restaurant and <laughs> ration your stuff. No, tell me I can't have my eight gallons of cream. <laughs> <laughs> per bowl. After the war, she was actually offered the French Legion of Honor, which is the highest award a citizen can get. Amazing. And she says, no, thank you. What? She says, that should be for somebody who does something extraordinary, something more important than just making food well. Basically, I know my lane. I'm going to stay in my lane. Yep. She's offered restaurants to open up basically all over the world. Nope, not me. I'm not, you know, she doesn't see herself on an airplane checking out all of these places. She's you in know, the kitchen. It's the, yeah, it's, it's where she wants to be. the 50s, 60s now. Leonie's cuisine was her and a lot of other women in the area. But men had started to take over. Okay. So the Paul Bocuses, they started were push, kind history. of pushing the women out. Yeah. yeah. And even the restaurant that was all women front to back went away. And all of those women were replaced by men. Women would be seen as wonderful home cooks, but not chefs. What and a shame. In, for... It's a bummer. In 1976, Paul Bocuse, I, I gave you a, a taste of his interview before, but the rest of his interview was, I prefer my women to smell of Dior and Chanel than of cooking fat. Women are good cooks, but they're not good chefs. Women who want to do just what men do just end up losing their femininity. And what I love most of all is a feminine woman. Wow. Then it took him a while to even admit that, you know, that he worked for somebody when he was 20 and that she had taught him everything. After she had retired, she started working on a cookbook. Okay. And unfortunately she died in 1977. Wow. At 82 years old. Okay. Yeah, she, you know, she, she had been around, around. Yeah. Turn, turn of the century. But the cookbook wasn't done okay. and she died. But her family took it over and they finished it and they put it out in 2009. Mm-hmm. They finished it. It's been translated into English and it's called The Mother of Modern French Cooking. Huh. Dominique Crenn is the first <clears throat> woman in the United States to get three stars, three Michelin stars. Okay. No other women, to my knowledge right now, feel free to correct me, have those I won't have those three stars. <laughs> Good times. So, so okay, yeah. so you got so you got the you got the you got the two mothers of French cuisine, right? Mm-hmm. You got uh, Catherine de Medici, Catherine de Medici and... <laughs> right? From who was not really it, right? She just dumped mm-hmm. some money into it because she was of royalty. Yeah, how they, did you find Eugenie? If there's no, if there's nothing written, like what, what, how did you get there? Was it this cookbook, or what did, what did you, what, when you were, what, what her cookbook is there? amazing. Oh my gosh, how did I get there? I was. Well, I knew that Paul Bocuse had been trained by a woman. And I, I looked into that a while ago to find out, you know, some snippets about her. But there's not a ton of information out there about her because she's it's almost like she's been scrubbed huh. from the Internet. You know, it's the only articles you find are the you should know who this is. 
and hmm. they're like you know four or five article or four or five paragraph articles um her book has lots of anecdotes in it and i the think you know, every, yeah and that's still available on on amazon the mother of modern french cooking okay is what it's called again if you're into cream laden French cooking with lots of potatoes and cheese and it's comfort food. That's my gas, that's my jam right there. Good. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Those are, those are our two kitchen gods. Jenny and Catherine does something. Medici, 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 Medusa. I, no, the, the, Medi- no. the Medici family had just had a just massive stronghold on Venice. Yeah, well, uh, well, Italy, Italy in general. Florence, Florence. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, that was uh-huh. their, that was their seat, right? And but uh, but all all of that all of that that region, obviously, in, obviously into France, and they because they because they were married into royalty all over the place. But every everywhere you go in Florence, the architecture was all, so much influence from that family and that family's money that mm-hmm. paid to have to have that that cathedral. To have this, you know, so so that Florence could be this this powerful place, and it was it was this whole like competition of what what city could bring together the funds to put these things to, these grand cathedrals up. It, it's been it's been years since I've looked into it, but I have a hanging on my. I'll I'll show I'll show. I'm gonna hold my camera up, although I hope it doesn't. See, it's really tiny. It's like a, a column. Yeah, it's a column capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's it's from the Medici Palace. Uh-huh. So I sketched that inside the piazza. How cool. Yeah. So that's that's I believe that that's where that's from. That reminds me of the great opera singer Enrico Palazzo. Uh-huh. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, Enrico <laughs> Palazzo. <laughs> Sorry. That's very cool. I've never been to Florence. I would like to go. Really? Please. That is okay. It's my yeah. my favorite place. My bucket in, list. My favorite place in the whole world. Well, yeah, so that is our our podcast for episode 18. 19. 19. Poof. Sorry take us back in time it's been five months now we're gonna go backwards oh i think we've got a nice big chunk for people to catch up on i know it's great and if you're listening make sure you subscribe because that brings that that brings the show up in the rankings on itunes Mm. all right guys well thank you for listening and we will um we'll take off columbus day Mm. next week and we'll be back after that so you've got plenty of time to catch up on those episodes you've been missing out on and road trips a lot of people taking road trips coming up. Go ahead and, and pop us on and just let her ride. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ken. Thank you.